just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. guy said you're back and then I said yeah and then he said no way I replied yeah and then he said it's terrible Jono how's it going hi Matt Double V how are you <laughs> had a terrible encounter with this random person uh, coming out of the uh, my local supermarket in the week um he said, oh, you're that guy. You're that VV guy from VGM Awesome Open Source, isn't it? Um, I said, yes. And he said, well, I've come up with a rebel, um, a rebellion show. It's called VGM Awesome Closed Source. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. John, how's it going? VGM Awesome Episode 2. VGM Awesome Open Source Episode 2. Episode 2. We, we've somehow gotten to episode two. Uh, it's an achievement well, in itself, right? It's a, it is kind of an achievement in itself. I remember where I was um, when you actually finished the first episode. It was, um, I was in Blackpool, you know, just enjoying the summer holidays um, where, where it rained a whole, whole lot. And uh, where it rained a whole, whole lot. And, um, yeah, I just put it on in the evening and it was great. Um, yeah, that was great. That was a great time the first time, so we thought, let's do it again. Well, there's a good spin to that story, though, because you were not there alone, John. No. And this, is, this is a nice transition to bring in new Vox to the show, Matt Lindsay. Hello there. Now, did you mean to sound like Obi-Wan when you said that then? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> no, did completely. Did anyone else pick up on that? Hello there. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to sample that. I'm definitely sampling that. And that's going to go at the end of the episode now. Um, yeah, this this is like this is new ground. You know, this is also really important because you were quite a vital cog um, during VGM Awesome's initial run. Um, I remember you had long hair at the I, time. I remember that famous shot that Jono would have shot during the out-of-print kind of VGMathon documentary where you're like, you, you've you been up for 36 hours by this point. Very much high on Pro Plus, I think. Pro Plus, I was say. And then you're explaining all this, and you just start chugging back some sort of energy drink, and it's... No, no it was milk. Oh, you were oh, chugging it was milk? Think, yeah, that was after the, the pizza. 
Oh, the yes. pizza. Well, well, we'll leave it to Jamie to explain about the pizza. But was that you trying to come back down to earth then? An experience. <laughs> it was. Um, but this is good. This is good. You know, it's it's. I can't I can't stress enough how how exciting this is and how blessed we are to have you on the show. And this 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 is not for everyone listening. Like this is not just a one off. Like Lindsay is part of the machine, part of the machine moving forward whenever whenever he's available. So like. This is very, very, very exciting uh, to have you on. That's not going to make things confusing at all. What with two mats, well, running I, now. I, I know, but then maybe, maybe he said the other guy needs another name. I said, well, John O'D has a name. He said no. He said the new guy, the other other guy, the other guy. So I said, well, that's a good idea, and he said, do it. So. With that, I don't know where we go from that, Jono, but M- Matt Lindsay needs an official VGM awesome name. How we go about doing that, I don't know. Yeah, we'll brainstorm it afterwards. It'll be the t- my, my title for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's like a it's a tattoo, Matt. Um, it's very difficult to shake and very easily memeable. Um, there's there's no denying that. So expect the unexpected, unfortunately. Um, but Jono, we're talking about guilty pleasures. I know a lot about this. I mean, I'm a Sonic fan. Virtually every game I like is a guilty pleasure, but some are more guilty than others. Okay, okay. Well, this is going to be exciting. Um, we've got three voices on the show. We've we've each picked out um, a small handful of games that, to us at least, uh, qualify as guilty pleasures. Um, why we're talking about that? Not sure. Just fun. Going to be interesting to dig a little bit into the archives of games we used to play or maybe still play. Who knows? Who knows? But with that said, we'll go to the main check now. Guilty pleasures. Guilty pleasures. Um, Jono, do you want to very, very quickly explain what defines a guilty pleasure? Are you equipped to do that? Um, I think I've got the qualifications in order to do this. Um so I would count a guilty pleasure that by all metrics most people who would pick this game up would declare it not good for whatever reason that they want to do. But for whatever reason, you just can't help shape that feeling that you're actually kind of into it and you actually kind of get some kind of enjoyment out of it. That's what I would define as a guilty pleasure game. Well, that was pretty detailed, pretty comprehensive. Um, with that said, uh, we do like to throw people either under the bus or into the baptism of fire, the into the fire pit. Um, that today is you, Matt Lindsay. Oh, Hit us. Yeah, go. you're going first. Hit us with these games. I'm so intrigued to, to hear what you guys have, have brought to the table because it, like, we all know our thing. Everyone knows their thing. We all have our kind of pathway in and out of games as we kind of grow older and that. But to get this perspective from everybody else is just going to be so fascinating. It's okay. We'll only judge you forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my my first game is my first guilty pleasure game is South Park Rally for the Dreamcast. That is, I love my Dreamcast. It's one of my favorite games consoles ever. I love my Dreamcast. Never owned one. Sorry. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Many things. Carry on. <laughs> So like a lot, I suppose really it's one of the first kart races that I ever owned. I had, I mean, I had Lego races on PC, but um, didn't vibe with it quite as much. I mean, South Park Rally was a lot of fun. As you know, growing up, that was a lot of fun. Like it's, 
it didn't just rely. I like it because like it doesn't just rely on like the you know, the racing angle. Well, there's a lot of like mi- in missions themed around like public holidays for like the championship mode. So like Mi- missions, how do they work? Is it literally just things that you go around the race and it asks you to pick things up or is it more yeah, than that? Like, like essentially like the championship mode, like you you may have like the same basic, you know, cross these four checkpoints three times to win. But then you also have like yeah, cap- pick up an item, take it across the checkpoints, pick up an item, wait for a timer to run out, collect twenty of these items before anyone else does. It's it was really quite involved. So like, each race was different. Each one stood out. Was it largely like did it stick to a to a set track, or was it much more? Was it more open than that? It could be very open. Like you had these like big landscapes that you could it's all well, not well, landscapes or like just arenas that you could race in. And like there was all sorts of stuff like hidden around each and each one. So one of them like the layouts could be very non-linear. So like there was lots of like it was almost like being in a almost like like a battle area for like two player modes and sometimes. Like you know you get those like battle modes like you know, just they arm you with weapons, you got to shoot each other in that. It felt like that in some cases. And one of the missions actually was that, just pick up a bow and arrow and shoot each other for Valentine's Day. (laughs) (laughs) That that wouldn't work unless it was Valentine's Day. So, you know, it's instant win. The thing which I'm actually really interested to know is obviously it's South Park Rally. I want to know, how well does it actually implement the license of South Park? Uh, does it not <laughs> it's very superficial it's just like the character you know it's just characters and locations and the weapons you pick up really like the, the the story if you could call it that for the championship mode is it could be anything it could have been any licensed property just racing through public holidays and such like but it was i suppose the only one that actually feels like south park is like the Thanksgiving one, because that's the one as they had an entire episode about turkeys trying to attack everyone. As we also know, was very much a um, a thing in the South Park, the main South Park PS One games, where you run round the town trying to throw snowballs at turkeys. I had I had the N sixty four version, and it was yeah. horrendous. Yeah, I, I remember playing that. It's the only South Park game I've ever played, and uh. I remember getting through it though. I just, I think I just kind of stonewalled my 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 way through it because I was it big into South Park at the time, and I was like, oh, oh, this is cool. It must be good because it's South Park. But no, I, I don't think it's a very good game. No, I've I've played that one. I've played like Chef Love Shack, the sort of Mario Party clone, and I think South Park Rally is the better of the three games. It's, it's got a lot more content and and it's more visually appealing. Mm. It's not great because, like, there are certain certain levels can get very tedious. Say, the items you got to pick up, there's either lots of them or they're hard to find. And like, if you even if you're super close, like, it's everything can be undone in an instant. And if you you have to come in first place every race to get through, it's not like Mario Kart where you could come in second or third and still be in with a shot. Like, if you don't win, you're done. (laughs) <laughs> so all that said why do you like it i find it re- i find it really nostalgic i love like, for one thing i love the you know, like, i love like the 
the fact that it is, is mission based, I find I think that's a lot more interesting than straight racing. So you got him like also oh, it's primarily mission based. Like you have like the arcade ver- mode, which is just the racing thing, like you know, traditional races through each map. But then the actual championship mode is all the missions. So it's like I would always play the, the championship mode for like the variety of it. I think that's going to be the challenging thing with many of these um, submissions to the show today. Like when when you're wearing nostalgia goggles. It's very difficult for anybody to say anything bad about that wash you're wearing those goggles. And all yeah. of these games, I think, if, if we each went back and played them now, would probably put them down within about five or six minutes. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, but, you know, you, you're absolutely right. They, they, they are dedicated and firmly stuck within a particular era of your gaming life. And, you know, they, they occupy that space quite warmly, you know? Yeah. I mean, the. The other, another reason that I do like it is, you know, visual aesthetically, it is pretty good. There's like it oh, does, so, so it style quite pretty well, fairly well for C, you know, like that level of CG. Like the only issue I'd say is the lighting can be a bit weird sometimes, but yeah, you know, the it's you know the Dreamcast version is the best, one of the best looking versions of the game, and the soundtrack's really good. Like I it's, just, I just wonder. Um, if I mean I know nothing about this game uh, other than than its name really yeah um, but I just wonder if a game was being developed and they realised that it, it wasn't particularly good or certainly not by today's standards maybe it was good back in the day I don't know but then an opportunity came up to purchase the license for South Park and they slapped that on it to kind of boost sales or something I'm, I'm, I, I just <laughs> wonder whether that became the real selling point because it's characters that everybody loves it's a setting that everyone loves. Um, but perhaps it was maybe something else before that. I don't know. Just a thought. It does sort of feel like that sometimes. But like, I don't know. It's very, it's really hard to say with this one. I think they went in. They might have gone into it like fully with South Park. There's like all the and all like the levels and that are themed around South Park. There's a lot of like hidden details for like people who know like the especially because like based on all the earlier series like there's a lot of details in there that uh, form from all the episodes. So mm. it's one of those ones like, yeah, fans would definitely enjoy that. There's, I mean, if there's ever a license um, and a vast array of characters that you can apply to a party game cart racer, like South Park is right up there. Yeah. I mean, I, I only recently played the most uh, recent Mario Kart and had a very good time with it. And I'm currently playing the original, my SNES mini that I recently got. And it holds up so well. Like, just there's some, there's a simplicity about those games. It's go karting, so it's kind of daft, it's kind of fun. If you love go karting in real life, then you can kind of relate and, you, you know, you just love that kind of low to the ground sort of experience. The traps, the setting, especially if it's characters you know so well, the weapons, they're all kind of wacky. It's, it's basically wacky races, isn't it? Is that kind of it idea? Is, yeah. Um, and yeah, with that being applied to the South Park license, it's just a bit of a slam dunk, really. Hmm. there you go well that's i i, I mean i'm gonna have to look it up on youtube i think johnny we, we will have to do that um to just kind of oh, look sure. at some, watch some no commentary long plays of these things to get reacquainted but what was the second one you had matt the second one i've got star fox adventures on the gamecube <laughs> <laughs> what why why this one why is this why is this your guilty pleasure it's 
Okay, I it was the first game in the, for one. It was the first game in the series, the Star Fox series I played. So like, it's like I it was sort of my introduction to the franchise after after like first playing Super Smash Brothers and like, hey, who are all these characters? <laughs> like it's it's a brilliant. It's, it's it looks brilliant. It sounds brilliant. Story's an absolute mess. <laughs> it's like what you were saying about like a game that's sort of was something else at one stage and then got redeveloped into that license. Exactly the same thing happened with Star Fox Adventures. Oh, did that actually happen here? Yeah, it did because it was originally the game Dinosaur Planet, which was being developed for the N sixty four. At one stage, like they decided, we're going to turn this into a Star Fox game. And then eventually they scrubbed most of the original aspects of the story and just made it pure Star Fox. Oh man, I want to play Dinosaur Planet. That sounds amazing. the The ROM got uh, the ROM got released a few years ago. It's actually and so we actually got like the first gameplay footage of it oh, of he- Dinosaur Planet. Yeah, the original. Oh like, my gosh! <laughs> like it's early. It's late enough in development that one of the main characters has been turned into Fox McCloud. <laughs> but for the most part, it is still pretty functional and they're trying they're trying to work out like it's got like a modding community that are trying to like, mod it, adapt all the fragments of the original game back together so it's somewhat completable just when you said that then the first thing that popped into my head was uh similar to when uh skyrim first came out and and the modding community got hold of it and whacked Macho Man Randy Savage's head and voice <laughs> and voice box onto uh, onto the dragons. And all I've got in my head now is like either T Rex or a Velociraptor um, with, with with main. What's the fuck the the, the uh, main character's name again? Uh, oh, in Star Fox Adventures. Yeah, 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 Fox McCloud. Fox McCloud. No, Fox McCloud sorry, yeah. yeah. So with with Fox McCloud's head on it, <laughs> just that strange combination i would play that i would play that i mean randomly you just send that Matt, has reminded me of that amazing um skyrim mod where they replace all the dragons in skyrim with thomas the tank engine yes <laughs> I, I thought of that as well I equally, that mod. equally menacing but there's, oh, there's something terrifying about a fire breathing thomas the tank engine just hurtling towards you in the sky and you've got nothing but a dagger you just hear this distant far off whistle coming, and, you're, and, you're just fr- and your blood just freezes. <laughs> oh my gosh, gaming is funny. Gaming yeah. is weird. <laughs> look at the, uh, I mean, look at this. We're, we're talking about you know what would be bad games, and we're having a great time doing it. No, I, I think that's that's the point, isn't it? I mean, nothing. You know, there there are a select few things that I, I guess that do uh, become timeless and they age very well. Um, and across multiple platforms are still an absolute romp. You know, take the original Super Mario Kart, as we mentioned just now. Yeah. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a solid game outside of it, you know, just being part of, a, of an era that you can pick holes in. But, um, no, you're right. It's like when, when you're just talking about this kind of stuff, it just places you right back into that room that you were playing it in, the people you were maybe surrounded with, that era, that 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 period in your life. Um, and I've been doing that a lot recently and I think the older I get and, and the crazier the world seemingly gets, um, I kind of, I do go back to nostalgia quite a bit and just, it's, it's not a case of like, oh, I, w- I, I wish for the good old days. It's not that it, I don't know. There's, there's a safeness to it. There's an escapism and a safeness. And I feel it's kind of like mindfulness instead of me sitting down in silence for 10 minutes, um, which I highly recommend, 
Um, but just kind of uh, thinking back to yourself, talking to someone about this old stuff, I don't know. It's just fun to be retrospective like that, isn't it? Yeah, it's oh, great. Sure. Yeah. Great time. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on that one, Matt Lindsay? Yeah, I think the... Like I said, the game looks and sounds amazing. I mean, it's a 2002-2003 GameCube game, and it looks brilliant. I would love to see, like... I know it's never going to happen, but I'd love to see, like, an HD remaster. The graphics are just so impressive. Like, yeah, you know, uh, they've rent... Like, like Fox McCloud's fur is fully detailed and rendered. Uh, like, the blades of grass just keep, like... They prop... Like, waving in the wind as you move past. Yeah. It's... It's a really impressive game to look at, and the, again, soundtrack is excellent. Like, it's one of my favorite GameCube soundtracks. It's it incorporates a lot of like Star, uh, stuff like Star Fox themes from Star Fox sixty four they reuse, but also like, a lot of the a lot of like the themes from Dinosaur Planet end up coming over to Adventures as well. Like, like and like the but yeah, like the story itself. Mostly based on Dinosaur Planet, on the original games one, they've reworked a lot of things and then shoehorned in the, in the Star Fox aspects, and it's it clashes. It really clashes. <laughs> I mean, I haven't played a, a, a Star Fox game for a long, long time, um, and I don't know at this point how many games have, have, have come in that series. But it still strikes me as a very big series with a dedicated fan base. So I'm almost surprised that there hasn't been a remaster or remake or something at this point um, to kind of to give that series legs because it yeah. still has legs, and that the fans I think would 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 certainly chomp it all up if something was announced and released. You know? Yeah, it's like the it's like that the issues that came after that game because they're like as they did. That Adventures Assault and Command, then the reception to Command was not particularly great. They then went back and remastered Star Fox 64 on 3DS and then released Star Fox Zero, which is essentially Star Fox 64 again. And that game, it's, I don't know what they're going to do with the series now. It's just such a mess. And it really makes me sad because I love it. I like, I love the series. I love the gameplay. I love the characters. And they just don't seem to know what they want to do with the franchise. Yeah. I mean, it would almost strike me that, um, it, it, or rather, it wouldn't surprise me if around the corner something w- was announced because it, there's, there's at least a generation now that would, you know, see this as a bit of a new thing, bit of a new, a new IP almost, if they're not too familiar with it. Yeah. Um, and so there's an opportunity there to kind of re imagine something give it a rebirth um the challenge of course is is adhering to those older fans who who were there in the beginning um you need to do that uh but you see that cycle over and over don't you things things become really popular things can spike and peak really quickly and they burn out just as quick because you know money people trying to sort of force force it upon and the the deterioration of a, a game's quality it can be quite sudden it, it can be quite steep um, and then there, there, there is a period where you don't hear much. And then at some point, you know, something comes back if the timing is right. And if someone wants to get behind it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, what about you, Jono? Uh, any, any last thoughts on, on that one? I don't really have any thoughts on that one. It's, um, 
I don't know. I just tend to find that, um, especially with those kinds of games, you do find that they do have their fans without a doubt. Um, but what you often find is that's often pretty much at odds, as I can tell you, having been in the Sonic fandom for a long time, that's often at odds with people who would kind of, they would call themselves the purists, if you like. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the, people, so the people who, you know, would have played Star Fox back on the Snares, back on the Nintendo 64, and then suddenly they're presented with this. Mm. And they're thinking, what the hell is this? Why on earth should I play it? Why on earth are all yeah. people saying that it's worth doing all that kind of thing? But evidence by the fact that you love it, it absolutely has its fans. It's just a matter of whether or not that extremely vocal. Oh, yeah. I think we'll call, shall we say majority? I'd say so, yeah. Whether or not that vocal majority just shouts in Nintendo and the crew down for actually um, doing it, and that would kind of put them off doing it. I mean, a good example of that would be um, like about, well, over 10 years ago now, um, Sega tried to reboot the classic Sonic formula with a series called Sonic the Hedgehog 4. And um, yeah, so I mean, they kind of had an okay idea in that, you know, people were crying out for classic Sonic, and sure enough, there were a few people who kind of were were kind of fans of those kind of reimagined games, especially people who were kind of carried over from games from people who really enjoyed games like Sonic Advance and Sonic Rush. But um, at the same time, the main kind of core, if you like, the people who had actually grown up with the games from the nineties, kind of saw through it for what it yeah was yeah or how it was not what they kind of wanted from that yeah kind of series, and it just kind of died on the vine. So um, I don't want to dispel. I don't want to dispel any hope on the possibility of Star Fox Avengers coming back. <laughs> but I kind of get the impression that maybe Nintendo have kind of heard the gamers loud and clear, or at least the vocal gamers loud and clear. Mm. They definitely heard. They definitely heard the heard the gamers. It's, the game did not like Star Fox. Like Star Fox Adventures was basically people saw it as a Zelda clone. Instead of the on-rail shooting that the game is and the series is known for, and then they went back to the on-rail shooting with like ground-based on-foot missions. Mm-hmm. And since after and since that, it's all been you know on-rail shooting. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's tough. I think, um, as I say, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we did see something in in the future, but like. It only takes for for the idea to be relit, and um, money gets behind it. There's there's investment, and then mm. um, it's it's a case of like, well, whoever is making that investment to develop the thing, where where is the care? It's like, do you do you try to adhere to that original guard of fans that made it what it is? Um, you know, with the, with the love and care they gave it, that the and made it popular, um, or do you just see where the market and the demographic is now? And you think, well, that's what's going to make us uh, a little sum. And that's where we should focus our energies. So it's, you know, there's a balance that it's, it's, it's ever the problem, uh, the Rubik's cube that any old series has to solve. I mean, you take something as like juggernaut of star Wars, which in my opinion did not do well with the latest sequel uh, trilogy. Definitely not. Um, it's just like, 
there was some nice stuff in there, um, but you know that's that's a whole other episode. We could talk about that. Speaking um, of guilty pleasures, I kind of like Star Wars: Phantom Menace. Same. Well, this this is the funny thing because like the the prequel trilogy, which for a long long time was was deemed terrible, was deemed terrible. From everyone that I speak to now, they hold that higher up than the sequel trilogy. So all of a sudden, it's just jumped up a level. Yeah. Yeah, and no one ever kind of saw that coming. But I'm I'm with you, John. I've always stood by the prequels. Yes, they're a little bit weak and they're a bit CGI heavy, but I, I still enjoy them. I still enjoy them. Whereas the other, I think with the sequel trilogy, it's like it could have been and it should have been so much better. It was a slam dunk waiting to happen, and it didn't happen. But anyway, listen, can't talk about Star Wars. That is a can of worms. We just do not have the time to open, and we've already done it. Um. Well, Matt, that was really interesting, and I'm definitely going to be looking up. Uh, what was the first one? I've completely forgotten. Oh, the uh, South, uh, Park South Park Rally. South Park Rally. Yeah. I'm going to check that out. John O'D. Hi. Hi. I know you've been waiting for this moment in the sun. Here's the sun. It shines upon you. Go, good sir. Okay. So I have a lot of guilty pleasure games. Games that anybody would. If you can't be playing them, you would think, what on earth is wrong with you? Um, the first game I want to talk about, and this is probably my kind of biggest, most guilty pleasure game because I actually kind of unironically enjoy it, is a game called Robot Wars Arenas of Destruction. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that that, that, that game just falls out of your mouth like that. <laughs> that is, that's like, that is your game. It's your game. It should be called, sorry, what was the subtitle? Uh, Arenas of Destruction. Right, it should be Robot Wars Arenas of John O.D. Like, that's what it should be. <laughs> it pro- it probably should be. To give you a bit of um, background, um, this is not the first Robot Wars game ever made. I should actually probably sum up what Robot Wars is for the four people who don't know what it is. Uh, the whole idea is people make... Uh, these remote control fighting vehicles, they stick them in a box and then they smash them into each other until one of them stops moving. That is the whole idea of what Robot Wars is. It was on TV, it was massive in the early 2000s. Kids latched onto it in their droves, including me. And me. And, and you, Matt. And um, yeah, it was really big and massive. And of course, part of that big empire was some video games. Before Arenas of Destruction, you had a Game Boy Color game called Robot Wars. I believe it was Metal Mayhem. Yeah, that's the one. Something like that. Really, really terrible game developed by a company called Teatex, who are well known for making really, really terrible ports of games. Um, Arenas of Destruction was kind of, I remember it being special kind of in the, the run-up to when it was being developed because it wasn't just like this little kitschy game on this little handheld with you know maybe a square which you might be able to convince somebody is chaos to um it was this fully 3d like properly you know what looked to be a properly made game for the most modern console at the time you know, which you could do all the things that you had dreamed about doing in Robot Wars, that a kid would dream about doing, like creating their own robot, which was just covered in 40 different spikes and a massive accident of chainsaw strapped to the back. I don't know. <laughs> you have the option of taking on the house of robots if he wants to, all that kind of thing. Very much childish wish fulfillment with this game. That was the whole idea. And... <clears throat> 
it kind of was those things, but at the same time, it was very much not good. It was very, very much not a good game. I have a veritable laundry list of things I've written, which are just this game just completely falls apart on. Um, let's go through them. Um, first of all, it has a commentary track, which is done by the actual show's commentator, Jonathan Pierce. So, you know, obviously, football commentators, right kind of thing. Um, so he commentates all of your matches, and his commentary is made up of very, very short, um, context specific kind of phrases that they then just play one after the other, after the other, after the other, depending on what is happening. And it, you just end up getting this really, really annoying and repetitive commentary track with these, I don't know. Nothing might be happening, and Jonathan Pierce might just be there losing his mind over <laughs> something that happened maybe 40 seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, what other stuff is um, not very good? A lot of the arena features, because they have all kinds of different arenas you can fight in, as well as the classic Robot Wars one that you can fight in. For example, you can go to a German-based dockyard and do some fighting. You can fight on this abandoned North Sea oil rig and push opponents off the side into the sea. You can go into a steelworks and push people into, like, vats of molten steel. You can fight on a Japanese rooftop and fall through skylights. It's all kinds of weirdness. <laughs> a lot of these features that they kind of talk about in these kind of big intros, because they introduce every before every fight, and you have to watch it every single time that you have a fight. Um, some of these features do not even work. They big them up, but they just do nothing. Like in the German arena, they talk about this big crane, and you can see this big crane kind of moving these giant containers around. And the whole idea is, is that if you stop in one place for too long, it will drop a container on you and your robot will be flattened. Stupid, stupid <laughs> concept, I know, but it sounds great. But it doesn't happen in the game. It's something that they cut out, but they somehow left in the game. What else is in there? Um, this this is a massive sin if you're on Pan Robot Wars. Deator is in the game. Deator being very famous robot, which is covered in fur, which catches fire all the time in Robot Wars, and everybody loves it. Deator cannot catch fire in this game. Oh, like, what, what is at this, at this point? You know, you're thinking, okay, you had the perfect opportunity here, and you've just squandered it. What is wrong with you? Why even have it in the game? Yeah, why even have the tool there if you can't even make it catch fire? That's its signature trick. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, physics in the game are just wrong. Um, you know, they just do not work really like you can push a robot against your inner wall and because of the way physics work the robot will just flip itself over because that's just how it works i guess it strikes me as though hit, hit detection might be a little bit ropey as well something might, like that hit detection and gravity especially are <laughs> very ropey on this game and also to add to that House Robot AI is just awful and broken and yeah the whole idea of a house robot attacking you is you drive it you drive into their corner patrol zone where they kind of hang out and then they will just steamroll you against the wall just flashing every single weapon that they can <laughs> um, whether or not they are doing anything to you so by all accounts this game is a really 
typical example of a terrible, terrible licensed game, which you will pick up and play maybe for, I would say, maybe a couple of hours, and then it would just languish in the bottom of a drawer until you take it to a charity shop for sweet and merciful release. Or you hang on to it for 20 years and talk about it in a podcast. Yes. <laughs> you know, holds up said copy. <laughs> holds up said copy, and believe it or not, that's not my only copy of it. What? You have more than one? I have more than one copy. Um, Poor c- person who you deprived having the other copies, you know, you should be ashamed. Well, to my credit, they're four different platforms because uh, they actually released two different versions. They released one for PS2. They released a slightly more arguably polished version for the PC. And you need a pretty high-end PC back in the day to kind of run this game. So um, I've got both of those. So what on earth... I've gone through this like some kind of passionate fanboy telling you why this game is terrible. But I actually kind of <laughs> kind of love it. And you love it because, uh, is, again, is, is it pure nostalgia or is there something that's redeemable from the gameplay experience? For most players, I would say probably not. It's probably not redeemable in the eyes of most people who pick up and play this. If you're only like casually aware of it was this, would you would think this was awful, and you'd have good reason for thinking so. Um, but for me, I remember when I first got this game, when it was relatively new, I installed, I had it installed on my grandfather's desktop computer. You know, and we got this little handheld controller and stuff, and. Going back to what I said before, this was like childhood dream fulfillment for me when I sat down and played this game for the first time. Like, I remember I was 10 years old. I was either 10 or 11 years old at the time when I sat down and played this. Um, I remember choosing my first match, selecting the base really rubbish robot that they kind of set you up with to begin with. And all of a sudden, I'm sat there in my chair looking over the Robot Wars arena like I was a real robot here. And my, <laughs> you know, my, ten, my 10-year-old self, my hands were on the controller shaking, like ready to, you know, fulfill this, you know, dream I'd always had of like controlling my own robot in Robot Wars and doing all that kind of stuff. So there is an element of that in there because, believe it or not, you can kind of do all the things that I, but as a fan of Robot Wars, I would want to do. I can go into a workshop and create a robot kind of how I want it to look out of a few, you know, very restricted choice of robot shapes and robot weapons, and it very much ends up looking like uh, one of their kind of stock robots that they do. But they give you that option of, you know, armoring it with whatever you want and putting whatever weapons you want onto it and that kind of stuff. And fighting it against some of the big names that you would have seen on TV, Hmm. which is, um, again, child wish fulfillment. As far as the rest of it goes, like, it's objectively terrible but it's also really really hilarious watching some of this stuff just break in half it's great uh the example i'll give you is um my favorite kind of match setup which is um i'll set up just a two-player game i'll just leave the second player with no control just so the second player doesn't do anything and I will set it to my favorite arena, which is the Siberian military base. I'll turn the house robots on, and I will just abuse the house robot AI just because of how 
stupid it is. Um, for context, the Siberian military base arena that they come, they put in, one of the hazards in that arena is a minefield. Um, a minefield that if your robot drives over a mine, it the mine explodes and it doesn't damage your robot or anything like that. The idea is that it will flip your robot over and it would be kind of out, that kind of thing. However, the physics and the actual um, the actual mechanics of these mines are broken. To a point where, depending on how you hit one of these mines, it can either tip you over, it can make you do a little hop, or it can send you into a stratosphere. <laughs> and it can send you and or your opponent over the maybe what looks like 20-foot chain-link fence that surrounds the whole outside of the arena. And the whole thing is, is that these are at the edge of the arena. The same places where all the half-robots right, right. chill out. <laughs> so what you do is you drive just close enough to them, to a point where, you know, aggro's their AI, they charge forwards, and they go straight over the mine, and they just go... <laughs> they just explode and go just flying into the air. It's just hilarious. I'm guessing, is that or is that not an intended behaviour then of the game? Well, like you said just it's then, you were kind of it, you were sort of abusing the AI, AI, but it's genuinely hard to tell whether or not they meant it to be about whether or not they meant it to do something else. But either way, it is something that you know it's just hilarious driving towards this huge and imposing edifice of Sir Killalot, and he just drives forward and he just turns forty cartwheels just there on the ground. I guess. But the, the the greater point here is that it then is like if the game if the game is supposedly bad, terrible, if you will. Um, but what is fun? What is fun? It's like if you aren't if you're having a blast and it's not of the designed intended fun, but you're still having fun. Therefore, yeah, is, does that make it a bad game then? If you're still having a blast with it, you know. Well, the things I think most people, they probably see something like that and think that, oh, this is broken, forget it. Mm. But the thing is, I mean, just because maybe I'm such a big Robot Wars fan, seeing Sir Killalot, you know, be sent 50 feet into the sky yeah. Yeah. is kind of fun, kind of fun to watch. Um, and the other good thing is, of course, is um, all of this stuff is kind of unlockable. So you have to kind of do a lot of grinding and that kind of stuff to do that. Thankfully, though, the game includes cheat codes, so you can actually, if you want to, when you start, when you log in, you could put in a certain name when you log in, and it unlocks everything from the start. And, and when you say everything, you mean like... I mean everything. You can unlock every single competitor to play as, every single arena to play in, every single component in the workshop, and infinite currency, so you can build whatever you want. It's great. I can only imagine some of the monstrosities you would have uh, would have created because I'd imagine that the, the customization to be, or at least should have been, quite comprehensive and, and deep. For, for an early PS2 game, and I mean this is an early PS2 game, it released in 2001. It was early enough that it released on the blue PS2 discs. Wow! If you yeah, remember, yeah. if yeah. you remember blue PS2 discs, they weren't used for very long, but it was released on that one. Yeah, you do have a fairly comprehensive amount of control over what you create. Again, you have you have maybe a choice of maybe a couple dozen of 
like basic robot shapes that you can choose and then you just kind of mm. do it up and as like this predetermined kind of like fixture points for like attaching weapons and wheels and that kind of thing. Mm. Mm. Well, that was comprehensive in itself, Jono. Um, have you got any other points you want to add to that? Because I feel like I, I need to actually go and play this thing um, to get a real grasp uh, of how terrible it is. Honestly, I would recommend not playing it. I recommend <laughs> coming over and watching me play it. Is, <laughs> so you okay. can exploit so, all the holes in the game. I can exploit all the holes in the game and you can see all the random, weird, stupid stuff that happens in it without having to wade through any of the boring, asinine stuff the game makes you do to get it. <laughs> um, what's next on your list, my friend? Uh, the next one on my list, um, I don't want to make this too long, but um, I think this is one that Matt will be able to kind of back me up on. Oh, go on. Um, I love, it's a collection of games um, released by a company known as Phoenix Games. Uh-huh, yeah. And, and I'm now watching Matt's eyebrows just raise and go, oh no, what is, what is he about to unleash? Um, okay, so um, again, objectively really, really terrible games i get the same amount of appeal from this as i do from watching terrible movies like the room (laughs) the room they they are very much games that are enjoyed in that stance so again very much not enjoyed for the sake of the game but very much enjoyed for the sake of a certain thing that's in the game which is really terrible but really fun to rib on and to just kind of bounce things off of um, so the games themselves, they released over a couple of generations on the PS1 and the PS2. But don't get them on the PS2 because they will potentially destroy your PS2 um, just because they are that poorly coded to a point where um, when it tries to load things, it will actually spin the PS2 drive so fast that it starts doing nasty things to the hardware. And the game actually ends up Or one example I've heard is that the game ends up getting so hot that it actually ends up damaging the disc itself. And you're saying this is a bad thing? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's self-aware in that it's trying to kill itself. But um, (laughs) part of what these games are, they are basically rubbish children's activity-centred style bits of software which um, kind of comes with like basic children's stuff. So you've got like a, a very basic coloring book type thing. Mm-hmm. You've got a thing where you've got to do a silly slide puzzle to make a picture. You've got a jigsaw puzzle to kind of make up a picture. There's probably one or two other ones as well. But the meat and potatoes of these games is not those mini games. The meat and potatoes of these games are the free include or the included movies that are on these discs. And on the and these movies are um, in their own right feature length cartoons. Feature length cartoons, which were made back in the very early nineties by what is widely believed to be a German production company called Dingo Pictures, and um, they made pretty much all of their content by directly ripping off. Um, established Disney licenses and properties. So I'll give you some examples of names of some of these games and you'll get some kind of idea. Let's try, for example, uh, The Lion and the King. (laughs) Let's try Dalmatians (laughs) 3. 
<laughs> try Snow White and the Seven Clever Boys. <laughs> A personal favourite. <laughs> Let's try Animal Soccer World. Oh my gosh. Which is arguably my favourite of all of them. But thing is, it's not just the story and stuff that they're ripping off. Even then, they're not actually ripping off the story. They're coming up with their own kind of take on these stories which happen to feature these characters. But the characters themselves are literally very poorly drawn over and traced from literal Disney animation cells and then animated with a grand total of about three different frames and all voiced by maybe one guy throughout the whole movie. And these movies can last upwards of 30 minutes. Right, right. <laughs> so to give an, give an example, um, let's see. So you can get these, um, I don't know. <sighs> How are we here, Matt? So like some of these run cycles, for example, you can get this cat, which has literally three frames of animation in its whole run cycle. Yeah, like one, like one frame for, le- for its legs out, one frame for them back. Like just alternating between, and it was just like alternate that. between them, and yeah, and it just mixes in really terrible music and that kind of thing. Or whenever they laugh, like her, like their hair just sort of bobs up and down. <laughs> I wish we were recording video right now, <laughs> purely for those clips. Like genuinely, I I think we need to watch one of these as one of our specials, just because I think it's going to. Like, I mean, I mean, me and Matt have watched these, and we have a lot of fun watching these. Okay. But if we're going to watch any of them... yourself. Yeah, Animal Soccer World has to be. It's got to be. It's got to be Animal Soccer World. Even if it's, ju- even if it's just for the, um, the, the goth biker duck gang. I mean... Or the, the duck siren. I mean, r- right now, all <laughs> I'm hearing are random words. <laughs> And the most strange concoction of of words you could possibly put together. I'm trying to sort of uh, picture any, even just a, a, a you know a small segment of, of what you're trying to describe. It sounds like the weirdest trip anyone could have ever. It, it, it really, really is. And very much, if you were a parent who had gotten this for your kids because you because you saw what looked like you know 101 Dalmatians on the box. I mean, even the box for Dalmatians free literally has a off-colour Cruella de Vil on the front of it. And she doesn't appear in the game anywhere. She is literally just on the box. What I find funny about that is that, of course, 101 Dalmatians, right? Um, Three was a specific choice. Why three? Like, Dalmatians three. I think I know why. The reason being is that Okay, so the reason they call it Dimensions 3 is because they actually released literally the same game twice before. Oh, so it actually is part of a trilogy, maybe more. Well, one of them is the original Dalmatians. Then they made a sequel to that. They made a sequel, the, the, the Dalmatians 2. And then Dalmatians 3 is just Dalmatians 2, but on a different console. Oh my gosh. Well... I think just by by listening to you guys, we're, we're adding content for future shows. We've we've talked about let's watches and let's we should do some live let's plays as a feature. And I need to, I need to experience this because it sounds like it's not a it's not a, a, a gameplay experience really. It's just a real experience. It's nothing. It is, um, it's it's a real kind of visual experience that just happens to be on a console. Right, is basically what it is, but. Again, you very much have to kind of walk into it with your kind of room watching head on 
for lack of a better okay, word. Okay, okay. Did you, by chance, check the credits? Is is Tommy Wiseau in there, like, d- down deep oh, no, anywhere? Oh, no, this, was, this was early 90s, and it was developed. Um, I'm pretty sure all of these shorts were made by one German company, pretty much. Okay, well, I'm just wondering whether, because he's so elusive, I just wonder whether he started out as a writer in some kind of, you know, in a European development studio, and his credit... His work ended up with these guys, and it came it came to fruition in a game. Maybe, you know? Sounds like that sounds like a trajectory that Tommy Wiseau could, would find himself on, and then say, "Oh yeah, there's that, that, yeah, it was, that was totally thing a thing I did. I did. Yeah, I meant to do that." <laughs> well, for all we know, he's never done animated movies, so it could be a secret project of his. I would go and see that right now. It's cr- he's crying out to do it. That'd be amazing. I mean, to be honest, it doesn't feel that detached in terms of badness from the room to be honest so i think you would get a lot of enjoyment out of it okay oh gosh um was it just the two you had Jono? um i did have one more but i'm wondering do we have time for it uh yeah let's let's if that's all right if we can hold fire on that one uh, i'll yeah, keep my brief because we're already at 52 minutes of everything yeah, so this so. would be a longer one so I've only got two. I'm going to bring two to the table, and I can categorically say from the start they won't be as entertaining as yours. Well, maybe the first one. Um, you you guys have put together quite the uh, uh, quite the detailed response to this brief, this episode brief. Um, the first one, though, I'm not going to say what it is just yet. I'm just going to read the synopsis. Uh, where's the synopsis gone? Okay, here we go. All right, just 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 listen to this. Um, I'll do it in somewhat of a, a dramatic tone. It's a dark and stormy night at Professor Stinkbaum's lab, where a machine has been built to save the world from pollution by trans-existing into di- into dimension excrement. Ex- eccentric millionaire Snotty Ragsdale has taken a job at the lab to investigate its safety and find out exactly where the pollution is going. He has a bad feeling about this latest contraption. This night, his suspicion will come true. That last bit actually wasn't too bad, and with a bit more dramaticism, it could have been quite compelling. But this is from the game uh, Boogerman, a pick-and-flick adventure on the SNES that I played back in the... Well, when, did it, when was it released? 1994. And I'm pretty sure I bought this near release because it was a birthday present. And I'm pretty sure I remember seeing it in a magazine or something. And my dear mother went and got it for me. Again, talking about eras, it doesn't surprise me that a game like this, uh, I'm not even sure how popular it was. This is way before I even took too much notice of games um, on that kind of level. But it's it's mid-90s. So you've got things like Beavis Butthead and uh, I'm not sure when Ren and Stimpy was a thing, but you had this kind of crass, yeah, grotesque... Yeah, was a thing around that yeah, time as well. You had this kind of outrageous, disgusting um, animated humour that was kind of knocking around. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that this was a thing. But basically you play as, I think this guy's a janitor and then he becomes um, the Booger Man. But not to be mistaken for the Boogie Man, um, the Booger Man. Um, so, you know, he runs around, he's, he's flicking stuff. He's, you know, doing stuff from his bottom, um, digging through brown stuff, um, belching. I can say, say belching is, um, it's pretty disgusting. And uh, I remember playing it and just thinking, this is so cool. It's like Sonic and Mario, but it's not. 
that was like my 10 year old brain thinking it's great because it was quite it was quite a standard 2d platformer yeah um but i must admit it's just it's the, i've never come across a game maybe uh what was the uh uh, bad fur, fur day conquers bad fur day. Yeah, yeah. Similar kind of humor. That's the only other game I can think of. Um, and that conquers bad fur day was was a pretty pretty uh, raunchy game in places. Um, but this one was kind of the same same vein for me. And I just remember playing and thinking, "This is disgusting. It's so daft, so stupid." But that was my sense of humor in 1994, as was many uh, many a young boy. Um, but it was totally totally stupid. Following on from that, round about the same time, but slightly later, um, yeah. So only four years later. So now I'm sort of moving into my teens. You got you've got a young a young V. He's not double V yet. He's just Matt V, and he's moving into adolescence and teenage years. Um, and I did a terrible thing around this time, guys. A really terrible. <laughs> I hope the recording picked that up because the cat was shocked by my terrible thing. <laughs> Um, so we're talking about Mortal Kombat Mythologies Sub Zero on the N64. Oh, which I'll tell you what my terrible thing was in a minute. But I remember this. Of course, Mortal Kombat was huge, and they were pumping out game after game as many as they could, as many as they could in that period because it was, you know, it was it was gangbusters. It was an absolute slam dunk. It was really was popular. this was this around the time that the Mortal Kombat movie was a thing. Good point. So the original movie I think was '95. The the really good sequel, Annihilation, uh, that was 97, I think. So the same year as to when which one came first, I don't know. But clearly, you know, they were pumping out Mortal Kombat um, content as much as they as much as they could. But this, of course, just takes it's, it's essentially prequel to the original Mortal Kombat. You play as um, the older Sub-Zero brother, Bihan, I think it is. And he's on a quest to I can't remember if it's recover or steal Shinnok's amulet. And then help out Shang Tsung, and then he gets recruited to the to go to the tournament. I don't know; it's a very elaborate story. Just Google it. Um, <laughs> something like that. Some of those things were right, um, and it, it basically takes the two D uh, semi photorealistic uh, beat em up style of the original Mortal Kombat and puts it into a side scroller beat em up. Not to the enjoyment uh, or extent of the greats, like uh, you know. Golden Axe and Streets of Rage and all that kind of stuff. This is just very flat, very, very flat. From memory, I don't remember the combat being that bad because it was all the same mechanics pretty much as more combat as what you'd expect in the early to mid-90s. Um, but the two things that stand out, it had platforming elements which were really difficult, really difficult. Before we were recording, we Jono and I were looking at Quop, uh, or what was the the new game by oh, Getting Over it, Getting Over it with Bennett Body, right? And we were looking at reaction videos of people just being distortioned with uh, rage uh, after falling, you know, from such a great height. More Combat Mythology Sub Zero is a bit like that. It's a flat game, two D, but you have like three D elements in the in the map. Ooh. And you have to try and time these jumps, and it's almost impossible. It's literally luck that you will connect and land on one of these things that are moving in a 360 space on a 2D plane. So, is it a case that you would just fall through it, or is it, or is it like two, two and a half D, two yeah, and a half D yeah. thing where the platform's moving forward and backwards? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, you you wouldn't necessarily fall through it, but you just it wouldn't connect. It wouldn't connect if you did not time that that jump absolutely perfectly. You would almost know before you jumped, and there was no trajectory. Um, sort of, uh, you couldn't divert your direction as you're in the air. So once you jump, you've jumped. That's it. You can't move or anything like that. Much like the original game, and so there's that. That's really frustrating because it was a very very start stop game, and you die. A lot, a lot. The other thing, though, was that it was just so dreary and drab and depressing. Like the color palette was, you know, it's Mortal Kombat, so it's, I'm not too sure what realm it was in, what dimension or whatever, but just the color palette is very brown and gray and it's just a, a bit boring and very uninspiring to sort of uh, be in amongst. Its redeeming thing was that Scorpion was in it. Um, and of course, playing as Sub Zero is cool, um, but you get kind of bored of him because it's like, Oh, if, if this was actual Sub-Zero, I believe he would make that jump no problem. And yet I'm making him look to be an idiot. This is not my Sub-Zero. <laughs> Scorpion turns up and it's like, right, okay, an actual badass is here to do a thing now. Um, but anyway, digress, and I'll keep it brief. It was, it was really, really fun. But the terrible thing I did, please don't judge me. I know that you guys are Sonic fans predominantly. I traded this. Not in. This was the the receipt for my so, trade. So you got Mortal Kombat. I got this in exchange for in exchange for Mario sixty four, which is just one of the worst things I think I ever did as a as a gamer. I took my Mario sixty four boxed boxed Mario sixty four, which back in those days With manual. Oh, it had everything. Oh dear me, everything, and it was like. <laughs> I've always done very well with looking, even the very small amount of N64 games that I do have boxed still, they're still pretty good condition considering that they've been in in and out of boxes for a million years. I traded that in and I got this trash uh, (laughs) in in return. I did play it. I did finish it. It wasn't fun. Um, But but the question I've got, a question I've got for you then is why are you calling it a guilty pleasure? Because of the period that, that it represented, uh, the, because of the period it represents to me, like it was that little niche in the mid, coming into the late 90s, it was just, I, I really, what am I trying to say? I've just slammed it for 10 minutes. I think, I think it was because something different happened with Mortal Kombat. It was the first Mortal Kombat game I played where it was different. And I really appreciated that because I went on to then play Shaolin Monks, which was a lot of fun. And even like Deception and um, Armageddon on the PS2 and that, those were the last Mortal Kombat games I owned and played. And it, it kind of just represented a bit of a, a, a different direction as to where the series was and still remains. It's, it's an incredibly strong series, still going strong. But I think, again, like we said earlier in the episode, it just re- represents a, a couple of years in the mid 90s where um, everything was really safe. And I, I, I like that it represents that kind of little period. So long story short, Jono, the game was isn't good at all. It's actually not fun. It's just representative of a terrible mistake I made and also the fact that it just represents a period of my life that was a lot less complicated. And I really I do miss that. <laughs> so, so yeah. That's what it represents. Um but interestingly, it's really funny to go back and watch the cutscenes from the PS1 version. The, the, N64, the N64 version had still images, so it didn't have any, any cutscenes. Well, it had cutscenes, but not um, any moving imagery. So the PS1 did have that, though. 
Um, if you guys remember, do you remember a show from the 90s called Nightmare at all? I, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you can see that. Oh my God. Are you going to pull out? Oh my God. So you can't see this. I, for a second then, I thought John was going to pull out a huge box set of the whole thing, but it's not. What was that? A figurine? One of the... It's a little figurine. I've also got somewhere here the original... Yes, here it is. Okay. So Jono knows what Nightmare is. Yeah, I know what Nightmare is. <laughs> Clearly. Um, but what I'm saying is the cutscenes from Sub-Zero, what Mytholo- uh, mythology Sub-Zero, they are very much like, uh, like Nightmare in that you can tell it's low budget. The costumes look low budget. You can see the makeup. I think it's Quan Chi is, is one of the big bads in it. Um, he's another sorcerer. Um, you can see the makeup. You can tell that these guys, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I've seen a level productions that are probably more compelling than the cutscenes from this particular game. And I don't mean to slam it because again, th- there's a cuteness to it and I, I do resonate with it and I do love watching these things back. But again, much like the room, it's bad. It's good be- because it's bad and you watch it for that now. Yeah. Um, but that, that's why, that's why. All right very comprehensive we we said in episode one that we'd stick to 30 to 45 minutes we've broken that pillar already unless the edit does represent a shorter cut we will see so guilty pleasures that was uh quite an involved episode um hopefully your bums aren't aching anyone who's listening and to you good good gentlemen currently sat with me in this online chat space um if it is indeed that i don't know but it's been interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, or doing more episodes like this. Uh, we've got a whole host of um, ideas for episodes that we want to get to um, as and when we can. Um, and again, to go back to you, Matt Lindsay, like it's it's been really good having you on, having having your face on on the camera, those those luscious box. And I did see at one point you mentioned at the start of the episode that you had a drink. I did not know it was a two liter bottle or something. And then you- yeah, and then you started chugging it like the milk from the VGMathon 2020. <laughs> I think it's the way you scrunch your nose or something when you do it. It's just <laughs> I it's really noticed cute. that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it, and we're going to have to get that clip and share it on the page and just <laughs> on with that because it's very funny. Ah, oh, but Jono, okay, we've arrived at the point of the show where we're going to actually do our first official curtain piece because the, the, the first one we first curtain piece yes actual one we unveiled the theme uh for episode one but now we actually have a curtain piece what this because it's a slapping track man oh this is very much a game which has a track which is way better than it should be for what the game is um so how, be- how best to put this? Do, do, um, do you say the game that it's from first to give no, it some... I, no, I think no? it should. I think it should. Um, like, what comes to your mind musically? I mean, you're, you're Mr. Big Composer here. What comes, to, what comes to your mind when I say Pictionary? Well, what, in terms of music? Um, yeah. Well, I, I guess if I, was to, if I was to boot up a game called Pictionary, I mean, we all know the game Pictionary... Um, but if I was to boot, boot up a digital version of that and then I'm sat on the menu, the main menu uh, screen, I'd be thinking, I don't know, maybe an ambience, maybe no music at all, but certainly something passive and something that you'd probably hear from like uh, a 90s art show, like Art Attack or something or something like that. I don't know. 
I'd love um, to see the alt attack theme in this. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. A chip tune alt attack thing would be absolutely banging. That would be banging. But, um, yeah. Um, no. But believe it or not, um, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it or not the, um, yeah, the main menu theme from Pictionary on the, uh, Pictionary on the NES, um, just so happens to be one of the hev- most heavy metal sounding <laughs> chip tunes I think I have ever heard anywhere. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's the sort of cue you'd hear from like Mega Man or something. Um, but no, it's in Pictionary. Um, you, you've heard this, Matt, at this point, right? Yeah, I have. What was your take on it? It deserves a game that's more intense, more mainstream. I I expect it from like a fighting game mm. or an, an action platformer, not Pictionary. Or, or some kind of thing like um, like Zero Wing or something like that. Oh, yes. That would really suit it, to be honest. Well, have any of us actually played this version of Pictionary? No. No. No, neither have I. So how do we know that it, that it isn't any of those things? Mm. I mean, we're assuming it's Pictionary Nez, uh, and you can kind so, of use your imagination there. But you what suggest- if it is all those things? Are you suggesting that I put in the Konami code and see if it boots up Metal Gear Solid 5? <laughs> 